0: Back to Wilderness Radio listeners. Um, unfortunately, this week we are not going to be having a full episode with all of our hosts. Um, ben is working on moving to Austin, Texas. Um, Scout is away on a mountain trip, and it really just didn't work out where anybody except me was going to be able to be on this week. So instead of me just sitting here and talking for a while, I figured that uh, I might be kind of fun for me to shout out another podcast that i enjoy and play one of my favorite episodes from there so the podcast that i'm going to be sharing with you guys today uh it's called radio lab a lot of you if you're into podcasts may have already heard of this um show but it's one of my favorites it's uh probably the podcast that really got me super interested in them and made me want to deep dive into other shows um so I picked out one of my favorite episodes for this week to share with you guys, and I'm just going to let the recording play here in a second. But uh, the title of the episode is Smarty Plants. Um, and if you enjoy this episode, I strongly encourage you to check out the rest of uh, Radio Lab stuff because uh, it's very good. And each week they, you know, or each episode they cover a different topic. So uh, you know, it's not always going to be about the same thing. It's but it's always very interesting stuff anyways uh that's enough rambling for me uh we should be back next week with uh several of our hosts doing a regular show uh we got some cool stuff in store for you guys um thinking of some pretty good segments kind of getting more organized and stuff and excited to see where this thing goes going forward but anyways um i'm gonna play the episode now this is radio lab the title of the episode is smarty plants
1: I one, two, this, the headphones, yeah. I right, got
2: that? I'm Jad. I'm Robert. How's that better? Oh, much better. This is Radio Lab. Can I interrupt?
1: Oh, yes. Oh, but could I say something? Me no. first. Me first. <laughs>
2: because I let you go, it's going to be another 20 minutes till I get to talk.
3: <laughs> a little while back, I had a rather <laughs> little, 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 boisterous <laughs> conversation with these two guys. First of all, like, who are you?
1: I'm Larry Ubell. Yeah. And I'm Alvin Ubell
3: so you are related and you're both in the plumbing business
1: are we related yes we, yes, are, related, we
2: are related but we are in the home inspection business
3: yeah their father and son it's a family business
2: we are the principals of accurate building inspectors of Brooklyn New York and
1: I've been in the construction industry ever since I'm about 16 years old I'm 84
3: okay I'm not giving my age <laughs> And I wanted to talk to them because, uh, as building inspectors, they there's something they see over and over and over. Yeah. yeah, all the time. That is actually a clue. In what turns out to be a deep,
4: deep mystery. Which, which is what exactly?
3: Well, uh, let us say you have a yard in front of your house, yours is the back of your house, but let's make it in front. Okay. And right in the middle of the yard is a tree. And the tree happens to be a weeping willow. Just for example, and not too far away from this tree, underground, there is a water pipe. A perfectly good pipe. Connecting your house to the main city water line that's in the middle of the street. Mm -hmm. The roots of this tree, of course, can go any way they want to go. They can go north, south, east, west, whatever, but the bells have noticed that even if a tree is 10 or 20, 30 yards away from the water pipe, for some reason, the tree roots creep with uncanny regularity straight toward the water pipe. The tree will wrap its roots around that pipe. Around and
1: around and around. In a tangling of spaghetti, like almost, a, and each one of those lines of spaghetti is squeezing. Little bit, little. Each one, announce announce an ounce, an ounce, an ounce, an ounce, an ounce, Eventually, over a period of time, it'll crack the pipe like a nutcracker. Yes.
3: You both see this happening all the time.
2: I have done inspections where roots were coming up through
4: the pipe into the house. Into the house. It's amazing. Yes. This this actually happened to me. The magnolia tree outside of our house got into the sewer pipes, reached its tentacles into our house, and (laughs) busted the sewage pipe. It just happens to a lot of people. It's almost as if these plants,
3: it's almost as if they know
4: where our pipes are. I see what's happening. What? Are you bringing the plant parade again? Is that what, is that what this is? Well, of course I am. You're doing the like, okay, first it was the roots under the ground all connected yes, these, into a whole hive thing. I don't know why you have problems what, with this. It, but, no, it's because it's like, it's like every time I close my eyes, you're coming at it from a different direction. I do, I do. With the plant parade. And I met a
3: plant biologist who's going to lead that parade. She's done three experiments, and I think if I tell you about what she has done, you, even you, will be we provoked into thinking that plants can do stuff you didn't imagine, dream they could do. Hmm. I know, I know you I know you but all right, wait, 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 let me just, let me give it a try. Okay, I'm, a, I'm game. So let's go to the first, this is the plant and pipe mystery.
5: Hello, finally. Hello, hello for the long <laughs> last. Now, oh,
3: you might was... think that the plant sends out roots <laughs> in every direction, one of the roots just happens to bump into a water pipe and says, you know, sends a signal to all the others, come over here, here's the water. But that scientist I mentioned.
5: My name is Monica Galliano. I'm a research associate professor at the University of Sydney.
3: She took that ocean out of the garden into her laboratory.
5: Yeah, tested it in my lab.
3: She took some plants, put them in a pot that restricted the roots so they could only go in one of just two directions, toward the water pipe or away from the water pipe. What kind of pot is this? It's kind of it's shaped
5: like, like the letter Y, but upside down.
3: So that you get the roots can go either the left or the, to the right. Oh. Now, the plants, if they were truly dumb, they'd go 50-50. It'd be all random. Right. But after five days, she found that 80% of the time, the plants went or maybe chose to head toward the dry pipe that has water in it. So the question
5: is... A plant that is quite far away from the actual pipe, how does it know which way to turn and grow its roots so that it can find the water? All right.
2: My hypothesis is, is that what happens is, uh, can I I have a few minutes? No. You got somewhere to go? No, because I... You got somewhere to go? No. Good. (laughs) Um, If she's going to do this experiment, most likely she's going to use cold water. She's not going to use hot water, because you don't want to cook your plants, you know. And it's more expensive, why waste hot water?
3: Yeah,
1: well, by the way, should no, we establish, is it no, a fact no, in no, your? are okay, go no, ahead. No, no, you want no. to contest? He, he ha, he's right track. Right. You have to understand that the cold water pipe causes, even a small amount of water to condense on the pipe itself, uh-huh. on the outside so of the ki- pipe. It's kind
2: of like a cold glass sitting on your desk and there's always a puddle at the bottom. And the glass is not broken, it's not a leak.
3: glass. It's not the leaking, glass. the water is still in there. So there is some water outside of the pipe, it's condensation. Right. So what they're saying is even if she's totally sealed the pipe, so there's no leak at all, The difference in temperature will create some condensation on the outside, and it's that little, little bit of moisture that the plant will somehow sense.
1: If you look at a root under a microscope, what you see is all these thousands of feelers like hairs on your head looking for water, every one of them. And all of a sudden, one of them says, I found a little (laughs) water, and then all the other one goes in the same direction.
3: These sensitive hairs, he argues, would probably be able to feel that tiny difference. Yes. But Monica says, no, absolutely not.
5: I purposely removed the chance for a moisture gradient.
3: She made sure that the dirt didn't get wet, because she'd actually fastened the water pipe to the outside of the pot. So
4: it wasn't touching the dirt at all. Wait, so the this branching pot thing, uh-huh. the part where the water pipe was, the, the pipe was on the outside of the pot? That's right, outside. And the plant still went to the place where the pipe was not even in the dirt? Yeah. That is strange.
1: Mm. Now, uh, uh, or is lovely, it just the uh,
4: vibration
1: of the pipe
2: that's making it go toward it? They would have they, to have, you know, some, you got,
1: you some, know, you can, maybe
3: there's some you kind of forward. signal, different kind of signal traveling through the soil. Monica thought about that and designed a different experiment.
5: Again, if you imagine the, the pot, my experimental pot
3: with the forked bottom. Yeah,
5: but then have two
3: very different options for our plant. On one side, instead of the pipe with water, she attaches an MP3 player with a little speaker playing a recording of- The sound of water. And then on the other side, Monica has another MP3 player with a speaker, but this one plays-
5: Nothing. So
3: she's got her plants in the pot and we're going to now wait to see what happens. Remember that the roots of these plants can either go one direction towards the sound of water in a pipe or the other direction to the sound of silence on the fifth day they take a look and discover most of the roots a majority of the roots were heading toward the sound of water
5: exactly
4: so they just went right for the mp3 fake water not even the actual water just the sound of it just the sound that that's
1: that's that's interesting
4: that is interesting but What? How would
3: a plant hear something like they don't have ears or a brain or anything like they couldn't hear like we hear?
6: Well, maybe they definitely don't have a brain. No question there. But. They do have root hairs.
3: This is Jennifer Frazier.
6: I am the blogger of the artful amoeba at Scientific American. And
3: she was willing to entertain the possibility that plants can uh, do something like hear.
6: So what do we have in our ears that we use to hear sound? Little hairs. hairs, Yes. Right? And if you go to too many rock concerts, you can break these hairs. And that leads to permanent hearing loss, which is bad. Uh, so maybe the root hairs, which are always found right at the growing tips of plant roots, maybe plant roots are like little ears. Maybe each root is, is like a little ear for the plant. I don't know.
4: That is cool. That is definitely cool. Mm, Okay. The thing I don't get is, is, um, in, in animals, the hairs in our ear, uh, are sending the signals to a brain and that is what chooses what to do. That's true. If a plant doesn't have a brain, what is choosing where to go. I don't think Monica knows the answer to that, but she does believe
3: that, you know, that we humans...
5: We are a little obsessed with the brain. And so we uh, are under the impression, or I would say the conviction, that the brain is the center of the universe. and, And if you have a brain and a nervous system, you are good and you can do amazing stuff. And if you don't have one, by default, you can't do much in general. (laughs) Okay, It's a very biased view that humans have in particular towards others.
4: But still, I mean, to say that a plant is choosing a direction. I don't know. I mean, it's like when a plant bends towards sunlight. Mm -hmm. We all we've all seen houseplants do that, right? Would you say that the plant is seeing the sun? No, I mean, it's just it's it's reacting to things and there's a series of mechanical behaviors inside the plant that are just bending it in a direction. I mean couldn't it just be like that? I think that's fair and I think if I
3: move on to the next experiment for Monica you're going to find it a little bit harder to object to. We need to take a break first but when we come back the parade that I want you to join will come and swoop you up and carry you along in a flow of enthusiasm.
4: Hi, this is Ashley Harding from St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada. Radiolab is supported in part by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world. More information about Sloan at www.sloan.org. Hey, uh,
7: Simon Adler here. Uh, I'm one of the producers here at Radiolab. And I wanted to take a quick second to tell you about something that uh, that I think is pretty interesting that that we make here, uh, besides the show. So. We have a newsletter, which I know everyone does, but hear me out. Unlike a lot of other newsletters out there, uh, we don't waste your time by just blabbing about what our next release will be or begging you for money. Uh, Actually we we do uh, a little bit of that. Uh, But what we also do is, each time a new episode drops, we send you a list of staff picks. Essentially, a collection of things the folks here who make the show have come across recently and are excited about. Uh, They range from books and music to TV shows, YouTube clips, art exhibits, blogs. It's sort of a repository for the stuff that's got us interested, but for whatever reason, uh, we're not sure how to turn into a radio story. So, if that sounds interesting to you at all, I hope you'll sign up for it our newsletter. It's free, and you can sign up in about just 30 seconds at radiolab.org/newsletter or even easier, just text RL news as in Radiolab news to 70101. That's RL news to 70101. And thanks. Mm-hmm. A year into Donald Trump's
4: presidency, we still don't have answers to basic questions about how his family business works.
6: Like who are their business partners or is the business benefiting from his administration? Is Trump acting on behalf of the country or his company? Trump, Inc.
4: is a podcast from WNYC Studios and ProPublica where we dig deep and ask questions about President Trump's family business. We're looking for answers and you can help.
6: Subscribe to Trump, Inc., wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Three, two, one. Jad Robert Radio Lab. Yep. So today we have a triptych of experiments about plants mm-hmm. that apparently, uh, jury's <laughs> still out, are going to make me rethink my stance on plants. Yes. Uh, so we're up to experiment two now, are, are we not? That is correct. So. We are going to meet a beautiful
3: little plant called a mimosa pudica, which is just a, a perfectly symmetrical plant with, with leaves on either side of a central stem.
5: Yeah, mimosa has been one of the pet plants, I guess, for many scientists for like centuries.
3: Because this peculiar plant has a has a, a surprising little skill.
5: Yeah, a reflex. An
6: anti-predator reaction? Like a defensive mechanism. As soon as it senses that a grazing animal is nearby.
3: If a nosy deer happens to bump into it, the mimosa plant
6: folds its leaves,
3: curls all its leaves up against
6: its stem, the whole thing immediately closes up and makes it look like, oh, there's no plant here. (laughs) Just a boring set of twigs. Nothing delicious at all.
3: So the deer's like, oh, well, never mind. Right. And you can actually see this happen. So okay, so you can get anybody can get one of these plants, and and we did. You do this one here. And if you this just touch it, can I try it?
6: Yeah, go for
3: it. Even just one leaf. Like that. You can actually watch this cascade. Whoa. <gasps> 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 where all the leaves close in, like <gasps> 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 yeah,
7: look at that. They all went closed. <gasps> yeah. It's
3: sort of startling to see. That's so eerie. So that voice belongs to Atish Bhatia, who uh, is with Princeton University's Council on Science and Technology. Right. We showed one of these plants to him and a couple of his colleagues, Sharon Dela Cruz or and have. Peter Landegren. Yeah, there you go. That's neat. Because we wanted them to help us recreate Monica's next experiment. Okay. So maybe could could you just describe it just briefly, just what you did?
5: well um i uh,
6: created this um horrible uh, contraption (laughs) apparently she built some sort of apparatus Um, i guess you could call it a mimosa plant
3: drop box picture one of those parachute drops that they have at the at state fairs or amusement parks where you hoist it up to the top except in this case instead of a chair They've got a little uh, plant sized box.
6: Into which she put these sensitive plants.
3: So the plants are now, you know, buckled in, minding their own business. And then Monica would drop them just about, you know, seven or eight inches.
5: Landing very comfortably (laughs) onto a a padded base made of foam. So no plants would actually hurt in this experiment. (laughs) Um,
3: But the drop was just shocking and sudden enough for the little plant to
6: close all its leaves
3: its reflex defense thing. Then Monica hoists the plant back up again and drops it again. And again. And again. And after not a whole lot of drops, the plant, she noticed, stopped closing its leaves
5: so after the first few the plants already realized that that was not necessary
4: the plants the plants stopped what is it they did they They stopped stopped, they stopped folding up Hmm.
3: she thinks that they somehow remembered all those drops and it never hurt so they didn't fold up anymore they'd learned
4: something
5: exactly which is pretty amazing
4: couldn't it just be an entirely different interpretation here Quite, quite the plants have to keep pulling their leaves up and they just get tired They run out of energy.
6: Yeah, it might run out of fuel. Exactly. It's a costly process for this plant. But
3: she figured out they weren't tired because after dropping them 60 times, she then shook them left to right and they instantly (laughs) folded up again. It would close up. So it's not that it couldn't fold up. It's just that during the dropping, it learned that it didn't need to. Yeah. That's a learning is something I didn't think plants could do.
5: They do. Oh, this looks so
3: high-tech. So we figured, look, if it's this easy and this matter-of-fact, we should be able to do this ourselves and see it for ourselves. So, oh my God. That's where the the scientists from Princeton come in. Peter, Sharon, and Atish. They design from scratch a towering parachute drop in blue translucent Lego pieces.
7: So this is our plant dropper, and we can move it up. And we can drop it.
3: So we strapped in our mimosa That's plant. A little seatbelt for him to put ride down. Oh. And then... All right, and then someone has to count. I'll count. And then we let it drop. Five, yeah. four, three, two, one. Drop. Five, four, three. And two, we dropped one. it once and, and, and twice and again drop. and again. We were waiting for the leaves to, you know, stop folding. We, drop. we dropped. We dropped. Drop. But I don't know. it didn't happen. Oh. Oh. it was it curling
4: cr- every time when it when every it, when it, time it just kept curling and curling didn't seem to be learning anything. so you so you couldn't replicate what she saw. Nothing happened at all. So
3: we went back to Monica. Yeah, we, as you know, built your elevator.
5: I, I heard
3: <laughs> we told her what we did. and what happened to you didn't happen to us. Now, can you can you imagine what we did wrong?
5: Like, for example, my plants were all in environment controlled rooms, which is not a minor details. They're, they're not experiencing extra changes or, for example, I don't know if that was the case for your plants. Um, no, out kept, of...
3: we kept switching rooms because we weren't sure whether you wanted to be in the highlight so, or weak light or some light or no light.
5: I wonder if that was maybe a bit too much. Was it <laughs> <that> possible? <laughs> <laughs> that maybe the plants correctly responded by not opening because something really mad was happening around it. And it's like, uh, uh, this place is not safe.
3: <laughs> Truth <laughs> is, I think on this point, she's got a she, she's right. no.
7: no.
3: <laughs> one time, the plant literally flew out of the pot yeah, and upended true. with roots exposed. It
7: seems like one of those experiments where you just aborted on humanitarian. Yeah.
3: yeah. Yes. So I think what she would argue is that we kind of proved her point. We were so inconsistent, so clumsy, that the plants were smart to keep playing it safe and closing themselves up.
5: So actually, I think you were very successful your experiment. You found exactly what the plants would do under your circumstances, <laughs> which were, I don't know, let's say a bit more... Um, Tumultuous than mine. <laughs> and she
3: goes on to argue that had we been a little bit more steady and a little bit more consistent, the plants would have learned and would have remembered the lesson. Because what what she does next is three days later, she takes these plants back into the lab. The,
5: the idea was to drop them again just to see, like, uh, um, the difference between the first time you learn something and the next time.
3: Like, would they figure it out faster this time or, or maybe slower? Yeah. So she takes the plants, she puts them into the parachute drop, she drops them and she says this time they relaxed almost immediately.
5: Yeah. They remember straight away. Straight away. All of them know already what to do.
3: They remembered what had happened three days before, that dropping didn't hurt, that they didn't have to fold up. So they didn't. Yeah. And then she waited a few more days and came back. They still remembered. Yeah. Few more days.
5: Yeah, and it was almost like, uh, oh, let's see how much I have to stretch it here before you forget.
3: Eventually, she came back after... 28 days. 28 days. Yes. And they still remember. They still did not close when she dropped them. That's what she says.
6: What was your reaction when you saw this happen?
3: That's producer Annie McEwen.
6: This re- retention of of knowledge. My reaction was like, oh, s***. <laughs> that was my
5: reaction. <laughs> because um, the only reason why the experiment turned out to be 28 days is because I ran out of time. So they, they might remember even for much longer time than 28 days.
4: So she's saying they remembered for almost a month? Yeah, I mean, can you remember what you were doing a month No, ago? I actually, like, <laughs> even this morning, i already exactly. like, poof, gone. Like, that's a thing. But supposing that she's right. Yeah. Where would the, a, a little plant even store a memory? But that's what I asked her. Um, I
3: do want to go back, though, to for, for something like learning, like I don't understand learning as far as I understand it is something that involves memory and storage. And I do that in my brain. That's the place where I remember things. In my brain. Oh
5: do you? Yes, oh, I do. You? It a, a brain, I think.
3: Is your dog Sorry, objecting we have to a, my analysis? A dog barking. <laughs> That's okay. Picasso.
5: Picasso. Pigs. Picasso. Enough of that. Pigs, hey, (coughs) it's okay. It's okay,
7: puppy. It's okay.
5: (laughs) (coughs) 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 Picasso, enough of that now. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs)
3: Actually, Monica's dog leads perfectly into her third experiment, which again will be with a plant, but it was originally done with, with a dog.
6: So Pavlov started by getting some dogs and some meat and a bell.
3: Science writer Jen Frazier gave us the kind of the standard story.
6: And his idea was to see if he could condition these dogs to associate that food would be coming from the sound of a bell. So he brought them some meat.
3: They would salivate and then eat the meat.
6: Then he would bring them the meat and he would ring a bell.
3: And again, drooling, eating.
6: And he would repeat this.
3: Ring, meat, eat. Ring, meat, eat. Ring, meat, eat.
6: Finally, one time, he did not bring the meat, but he rang the bell. Sure enough,
3: the dogs began to drool.
6: They had learned to associate the sound of the bell,
3: which has, you know, for dogs has nothing to do with meat,
6: with when they actually saw and smelled and ate meat. Exactly.
3: Now, that's a very, you know, animals do this experiment, but it got Monica thinking.
6: Would the plant do the same?
3: Could a plant learn to associate something totally random, like a bell, with something it wanted, like food? Yeah. Are you like aggressively looking around for like? Do you wake up in the morning saying, "Now what can I get a plant to do that reminds me of my dog, or <laughs> reminds me of a bear, or reminds me of a bee?"
5: No, really. <laughs> and I guess that that's who I feel. I feel sort of kind of good to say this. It's like, no, no, I don't. I don't do that.
3: But Monica says what she does do is move around the world with a general feeling of huh. What if? So she decided to conduct her experiment.
5: Pretty much like the concept of Pavlov with his dog applied.
3: But instead of dogs, she had pea plants in a dark room. Yeah. And for the meat substitute, she gave each plant a little bit of food, in this case a little blue LED light
5: light is obviously representing dinner so
3: light is if you if you shine light on a plant you're like feeding it
5: yeah plants really like light you know they need light to grow so uh, otherwise they can't photosynthesize
3: so for three days three times a day she would shine these little blue lights on the plants.
6: From a particular direction.
3: And she noticed that,
6: unsurprisingly,
3: the plants would always grow towards the light.
6: Anyone who's ever had a plant in a window knows that.
3: And the salivation equivalent was the tilt of the
5: plant? Exactly. And then I needed to, the difficulty, I guess, of the experiment was to find something that would be quite irrelevant (laughs) and really meant nothing to the plant to start with, like the bell for the dog.
3: So, after much trial and error with clicks and hums and buzzes...
5: All sorts of uh, randomness.
3: She found that the one stimulus that would be perfect was...
5: A fan. A little fan, the same one that are used in computers, like, you know, really tiny.
3: She determined that you can take a little computer fan and blow it on a pea plant for pretty much ever and the pea plant would be utterly indifferent to the whole thing
5: the plants didn't care
3: then she placed the fan right next to the light so that the
5: light and the fan were always coming from the same direction
3: and with these two stimuli she put the plants the little pea plants through a kind of training regime little fan goes on the light goes on both aiming at the pea plant from the same direction and the pea plant leans toward them and she takes a little light and a little fan and moves them to the other side of the plant. Turns the fan on, turns the light on, and the plant turns and leans that way.
5: Yeah, fan first, light after, and uh, moved around, but always matched in the same way together.
3: Fan, light, lean, fan, light, lean, fan, light, lean. Same as the problem, of the bell, the meat, and the salivation. So
5: then at one point, when you only play the bell for the dog or you, you know, play the fan for the plant, We know now for the dogs, the dogs is expecting, so it's predicting something to arrive.
3: And Monica wondered, in the plant's case...
5: If there was only the fan, would the plant...
3: Anticipate the light and lean toward it?
5: Or would just be going random?
3: After three days of this training regime, it is now time to test the plants with just the fan, no light. So Monica moves the fans to a new place one more time, they're switched on, and the pea plants are left alone to sit, in this quiet, dark room, feeling the breeze. And then... The next day...
5: I remember going in on uh, at the uni on a Sunday afternoon.
3: And she goes into that darkened room with all the pea plants.
5: So, you know, I'm in the dark.
3: But she's got a little red headlamp on. Yeah. And she moves about the room... To have a look. Peering down at the plants under the red glow of her headlamp.
5: And then I saw
3: that these little plants,
5: my little peas,
3: had indeed turned and moved toward the fan, stretching up their little leaves as if they were sure that at any moment now, light would arrive.
5: And it's good it was Sunday. And I remember it was Sunday because I started screaming in my life. I said, oh, I might disturb my plants. I go out and I thought, there's no one here on Sunday afternoon. I can scream my head off if I want to. And so I was really excited. I was like, oh my God, these guys are actually doing it. And so, of course, that was only the beginning. Then we actually had to run four months of trials to make sure that, you know, that what we were seeing was not one P doing it or two peas, but it was actually a majority.
3: So you just did what Pavlov did to a plant. You got the plant to associate the fan with food.
5: Yeah, pretty much.
3: (laughs) But once again, I kind of wondered if since the plant doesn't have a brain or even neurons to connect the idea of light and wind or whatever, where would they put that information? Like, how can a plant, how does a plant do that?
5: I don't know. I don't know yet. But what I do know is that the fact that the plant doesn't have a brain doesn't, doesn't a priori says that she, the plants can do something. The fact that humans do it in a particular way, it doesn't mean that everyone needs to do it in that way to be able to do it in the first place. There are multiple ways of doing one thing, right?
3: Huh? So we're really, like, this is, we're really at the very beginning of this.
5: Yeah, I know. That's why there is often more questions than answers, but that's part of the fun as well.
3: Monica's work has actually gotten quite a bit of attention from other plant biologists. Yes. And some of them, this is Lincoln Taze.
7: I'm a professor emeritus of plant biology at UC Santa Cruz.
3: Say they're very curious, but want to see these experiments repeated. It's a very interesting experiment, and I really want to see whether it's correct or not. We, Us too. Oh, I, I want. This he's one. got lots of questions about her research methods, but really his major complaint is, is her language, her use of metaphor. Right. For example, words like hearing or learning behavior. And this, <clears throat> he's not a huge fan of.
7: Yes, if you uh, get too wrapped up in your poetic metaphor. You're very likely to be misled and to overinterpret the data. I mean, I—it's a kind of romanticism, I think. You know, it goes back to anthropomorphizing plant behaviors. Mm-hmm.
6: But I wonder if her using these metaphors
7: again, producer Annie McEwen,
6: is perhaps a very creative way of looking at looking at a plant, and therefore leads her to make make up these experiments that those who wouldn't think the way she would would ever make up and therefore she might in the end see something that no one else would see is it can this it is be like metaphor is
3: letting in the light as yeah, opposed to shutting kind down of even blind. like
6: could there be a brain or could there be ears or, or you know just sort of like going off the deep end there but maybe it makes her sort of more open-minded than 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 someone who's just looking at a notebook
7: um i think you can be open-minded <laughs> but still objective um i mean i I think there's something to that. I, I think there are some cases where romanticizing something could possibly lead you to some interesting result. So you're like a, a metaphor cop with a melty heart.
3: Yes, <laughs> hmm. well, have-
1: that 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 would be an interesting. Don't thing. interrupt. They have they have to edit this in together. Let them <laughs> <him> talk. <right>. <laughs>
3: yeah,
2: how much longer? Because I have an appointment.
3: All right, that's it. I think I want I, I, one thing. Just out uh, of curiosity, this as we were a- winding up with our uh, home inspectors, Alvin and Larry, Ubell, Bell. We thought, maybe we should run this metaphor idea by them. There's On the science side, there's a real suspicion of anything that's anthropomorphizing a plant. They just don't like to hear words like mind, or hear, or see, or taste for a plant because it's too animal and too human. Mm-hmm. And the classic case of this is, if you go back a few centuries ago, someone Notice that plants have sex. Oh, yes. That there was a kind of a moral objection to thinking it this way. And I'm wondering whether Monica is going to run into, as she tries to make plants more animal-like, whether she's just going to run into this malice from the scientific I'm just wondering, do you you share any of that?
2: No, I don't, because she may come up against it. People who think that Intelligence is unique to humans and so I don't have a problem with that. I've been looking around lately and I know that intelligence is not unique to humans <laughs> Okay, so I don't have an issue with that and every day that goes on. I have less of an issue from the day before So I don't have a problem. The problem is is with plants. So they may have this intelligence Maybe we're just not smart enough yet to figure it out Well, okay, that's a parade. I'll, I'll show up for
3: okay Let's do it <laughs> Big thanks to Atish Bhatia, to Sharon De La Cruz, and to Peter Landegren at Princeton University's Council on Science and Technology. Also thanks to Christy Melville, and to Emerald O'Brien, and to Andres O'Hara, and to Summer Rain. You're thanking Summer Rain? I am. Did the plant sneak that one in? <laughs> no, 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 Summer is a real person, and her last name happens to be spelled oh, okay. R-A-Y-N-E. I see. This story was nurtured and fed and ultimately produced by Annie McEwen. She actually trained this story in a rather elaborate experimental setup to move away from the light into a light <laughs> breeze against all of its instincts. <laughs> oh, one more thing. Thanks to Jennifer Fraser, who helped us make sense of all this. You should definitely go out and check out her blog, The Artful Amoeba, especially to the post, The Forlorn Ones, about plants.
6: Plants are really underrated. <laughs> when I write a blog post, my posts that get the least traffic guaranteed are the plant posts no matter how amazing i think that the results are for some reason people just don't think plants are interesting and to me it, here are three more reasons that you can say no really plants are amazing and this world is amazing and that living creatures have this ability for reasons we don't understand can't comprehend yet that's amazing and fantastic and Does it change my place in the world does it threaten my sense of myself or my place as a human that a plant can do this no does it threaten your sense of humanity that you depend for pretty much every single calorie you (laughs) eat on a plant no
3: so you think that that this you think this is a hubris corrector
6: yeah i mean what so they can't move well some of them can first of all and Big deal. Can you make your own food? No.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that uh, episode. I mean, I, we didn't do an overrated, underrated today. But as, as you heard at the, uh, the end of the episode, she thinks that plants are very underrated. And I would have to agree. Um, I would assume that most of my other co-hosts would also agree with that. But uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I'm going to play some music to send us off here, and we will see you next week. Um, again, check out Radio Lab if you liked that episode.